You've reached the Onkin Radio Podcast. Nick Onkin here, exploring the world from creativity, consciousness, and everything in between to help you alchemize your life to its fullest expression. Hello, my friend. Welcome to another episode of Onkin Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, here and... This week, I'm excited to bring to you actually two previous guests who I've had on separately, and um, now I'm having them on together as they're two of my favorite people, Connor Beaton and Vienna Ferrone. And uh, Vienna's actually got one of the most highest downloads, I believe, on the podcast so far, and she runs a uh, marriage and family therapy practice here in New York City. She's got about five therapists working with her, and she is amazing, as well as her husband, Connor Beaton, a really one of my closest friends as well. And he does men's shadow work and uh, has a podcast called Man Talks, which you may have heard about. Both of them, y'all should follow on Instagram because they write really, really profound stuff. And around one of the biggest topics that we all, we all are interested in, on relationships and that's what both of them focus on together they're creating they have courses together and separately apart on their own and uh, they're creating a new course together and uh, so on this episode we talk about what it's like to create together as a couple and and the things that they go through (laughs) the, the battles that they go through and navigating that, which I think is really fascinating, as well as separate work, how they've grown as a couple and a married couple now in partnership and all these things and much, much more. And uh, before we jump in, a couple other side notes here. A couple things I'm working on is uh, my Identity Alchemy course coming up here. And uh, it's going to be on creating a congruent personal brand from the inside out from your inner world to the outer visuals that you're creating through photography and video and design that tell your personal brand story. So if you're interested in that, you can head over to onkin.co and sign up on the newsletter. And I'll be announcing that as it comes through. And I would love to hear from you actually in terms of if you have any questions on how you how to build a personal brand and things to think about what questions might arise that I can that I can answer uh, you can probably dm me on instagram at nick onkin and that would be very very helpful also as you might know part of my creative outlet is making hats and uh that's over at onkinhat.com and it's been a really really fun project and it's starting to expand and grow and now it's becoming a whole piece of my brand and what I'm putting out there. So people are buying hats and booking photo shoots and it's becoming a whole thing, which has been really, really exciting. So if you want to check that out, the Instagram is at Hat. Check out all the fun designs there. So without further ado, I bring to you my friends, Connor and Vienna. All right, what's up, everyone? We are back, Onkin Radio in the house. I got my two fave people over here, Connor Beaton, Vienna, Farron, Farron. <laughs> How do you say it, actually? Farron. Farron. Yeah, Farron. that's the American way. The American way. Yeah. The American. Straightforward. What, how do other people say it in other um, languages? Farron. Oh, uh, I mean, 
It's kind of close. Little, in the French, in the French, <laughs> people home. Well, yeah, there's a little French influence, but the Lebanese, yeah. It's, uh, but you're you're close there. But far, I always, whenever people ask, I'm like, like Fahrenheit, just drop the height. Mm. Oh, oh, I like that. Yeah. I like that. I don't know if I've ever heard you say that. I've, <laughs> yeah. I've never said it to you. Not to, I guess not to me. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. That's yeah. the easiest way for, for people. But I know my name used to get mis, I mean, it still gets mispronounced, but especially when I was younger. My first name, they always thought it was wrong. <laughs> They're just like, you're <laughs> Diana, basically. It's like, nope. It's Vienna. It's Vienna. Um, and then the last name was always hard for like announcers. I played sports in college and yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's an extra A thrown in there just kind of kind of randomly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it gives you a little flavor. Yeah. Well, we are up here. You guys have both been on the podcast before. It's been, it's been a while and both in different... This is actually... I don't know if you guys were even engaged at that point i wonder if we were we weren't engaged when i was on the show and you were you were before yeah yeah so i think so no so no oh yeah now you're married now we're married and there's and there's a and there's a A baby an addition coming yeah there's there's a a co-creation coming yes coming soon a (laughs) co-creation i like that (laughs) (laughs) which is great because we're gonna chat about co-creating as a couple and other fun stuff that we stumble upon today so uh yeah, I would love to, let's just kind of talk, dive in and talk about how you guys, you know, what have you guys created together and kind of what has that process looked like for you? And we can kind of unpack from there. You want to start? So my background is in marriage and family therapy. I'm a couples therapist, individual therapist within the context of relationships. So I, yeah, I work with individuals, couples, one-on-one and retreats and workshops and courses and things like that. And maybe you can say a little bit more about what, what you do. Do you want to do that right now? Sure. Yeah. Just like as an intro. Yeah. So, I mean, I work predominantly with men and I do a lot of what's called shadow work. So like working with the unknown parts of ourselves, the parts that sabotage and get in the way when we're trying to build a healthy relationship or business or whatever we are sort of in pursuit of in, in our life. And so I work with the parts of us that unknowingly restrict us from pursuing those things properly. And I do that through online courses, podcast, retreats, one-on-one work, and uh, I just, in general, making people cry. so so in many ways you and i were both doing our own things yes um that were similar ish right we have very different training and backgrounds and sort of paths to this work but we were definitely hanging out in the same sort of lane if you will yeah your your healer was raised in the educational model and my healer was raised in the streets. Sure. You could say that. Um, I mean, you're the professional one and I'm clearly, (laughs) I've got, I've got some things behind my name. Yeah. So I think when coming together, there were, I mean, in the beginning of our relationship, right. I think that there was probably, would you say that you were probably a little bit more keen on, wanting to join than I was like I had more resistance to it yeah I think I definitely saw the merit and the growth and expansion for each of us individually 
within the possibility of working together. And I think I saw the impact that we as a couple, as a unit could have in our work. And that could deepen our work. It could deepen our, our impact with people. And so, but I think for you, you know, like how you had always worked was on your own. Yeah, I think in the beginning, I I had built everything on my own. I'm an only, ch- for some context, I'm an only child. My like unintegrated parts at the time were coming from a place of of proving and yeah, like creating and establishing myself in a certain way on my own. And I wanted to do that autonomously, right? It was important for me to get to a certain point, you know, certain markers on my own. And that's what I had done. Yeah. Like a very individual lane. And I remember when you were talking about merging certain things and it would never have been everything. I don't think that was ever really like the the point, but I think when you were talking about merging certain things, there was definitely something deeply confronting about that. And yeah, like confronting, even threatening to the individual, yeah, like threatening to the self, right? I think if I could have put words to it at the time, I probably would have been clinging to my own self, like pushing you, pushing you away, not wanting you to like step on my turf almost. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think think that's that's honest and fair, right? Like I was sort of in the space of this is mine and I built this and you, you don't you don't get to touch it <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like pause off well i think uh, i think that's very i think it's important because i think a lot of people when they come together to to work together i mean we you know we're we're a couple yes. that works together and we're a couple who works together with couples often mm-hmm. um or on relationships or with individuals around relationships and so but i think that in our in our times there's a lot of people that are starting to embark on the journey of working together or at least at the very least working in the same space together because of you know the pandemic and what we're being thrust into and i think it brings a lot of challenges because for a lot of people we're sort of used to having our own professional lanes as as people within a relationship and i think that our stuff you know our shit can come up when we start to work together so i think for us that was that was definitely a part of it mm-hmm. you know like you you definitely were like okay like this is my lane i don't necessarily want to merge i don't want to share and <laughs> and for me you know my my control and i think for me also like the part of me that didn't like feeling rejected or neglected came out and was just like, no, like we're, then there was like the stubborn part of me that was like, no, I'm going to prove to you that this is a good idea. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, we both had to sort of let go of our parts to, to be able to do that properly. All right, my friend, I want to tell you about today's sponsor. And it is one of my favorite brands, Organifi. Uh, as you know, I'm all about putting healthy things into my body and using different supplements and things to get the nutrients that I need uh, when I can't always have access to them through other means of vegetables and things like that. So one of my favorite uh, mixtures is 
something that I like to mix three of their products together. It's the pure, the red juice, and the green juices. And it's a power pack of nutrients in the morning. Um, so I've been doing this every morning. And what's been great is I've been taking it on my travels so that I can keep some daily nutrients with me, especially when it's a very travel schedule. I don't always have access to foods that I want to eat. Um, so it's a great staple, great way to um, bring things on the road. They have little travel packs too, which is perfect. So you can just drop them in, mix them with water, and they're delicious. Less than three grams of sugar, uh, which is very, very little, and it's all organic. Either way, no processed sugars. Uh, so the green juice, which is great, is just you get your daily doses, your daily dose of nutrients that you need. You just mix it with water. There's 11 superfoods like ashwagandha, morninga, chlorella, spirulina, turmeric, and much more. The red juice is a superfood berry blend that contains adaptogens, antioxidants, and a clinical dose of cordyceps mushrooms, which is highly, highly beneficial to you. There's 13 superfoods for energy support like beets, blueberries, acai, pomegranate, Siberian ginseng, reishi mushrooms, rhodiola, and more. So it gives you a bunch of energy without the caffeine. Um, and then Pure. Uh, Pure is about promoting gut health and the morning brain fog is very helpful. It promotes healthy BDNF levels and mental clarity. For those of you that don't know what that is, I didn't. I had to look this up. Uh, Brain-derived neurotropic factor. It's the key molecule involved in plastic changes related to learning and memory. So neuroplasticity, things like that. Uh, what's great, it's infused with lion's mane and coffee berry. Got baobab from an African fruit that contains 10 times the amount of vitamin C that oranges do. It's got apple cider vinegar to improve gut health. Contains all kinds of other goodies like aloe vera, ginger root, monk fruit, digestive enzymes, and more. So you can go check this out, uh, Organifi.com. That's with an I uh, at the end, not a Y. And you can use the code Onken, O-N-K-E-N, for 15% off at checkout. What was your insecurity there, though? Because I feel like I felt I don't in- have I don't have any insecurities. <laughs> don't tell the people that I have don't insecurities. Don't tell the people. Um, <laughs> like, what was the insecurity that was there? Because that's one of the things I was really sniffing out. Yeah, like I yeah, your little insecurity sniffer. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the the main the main one was I had been in this space a little bit less like quite a bit less than you, oh, yeah. you were, you were quite established. And so there was this interesting dynamic of like your credibility was fairly high. My credibility ha- was quite new and not yet really substantiated. And so I think the insecurity for me on some level was underneath, underneath some of it was like wanting to prove a little bit but also feeling maybe a little feeling of less than, mm-hmm. you know, of like, you know, y- you have a master's in this area and, you know, there's a lot of people admire you and those types of pieces. And while I had built something wonderful already, I think that there was this part of me that was still sort of caught in needing to sort of feel and solidify my level of strength and worth within our professional dynamic. Mm -hmm. And I I think I felt that come up for sure 
when we when we started to explore working together. Yeah, because I felt it and... Which was very interesting for me as a man because I had never been in that position. Like I had never really been in that position of like, oh, I feel professionally not quite at the same level as you. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I think I felt that and I didn't want you to merge so much with me to not establish your own individual self, right? So there was definitely the part that was like, hey, pause off, like I've built the, you know, yeah. all of that that I said before. And I know that I was like, I want to, in order to trust you, right? And this sort of goes to the <laughs> the podcast that you and I did together on your, on your podcast, or like in order to trust you, I needed to know that you individually could like, ha- like, I don't hold know, down the fort, yeah. hold down the fort, hack it, what, you know, whatever that like, it wasn't something that was coming because of the relationship or like d- joining. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think I had a, a good amount of ego as well. Cause I was just coming off of putting on this like massive event with like, you know, thousands yeah. of people and there was there was a bit of like inflation that was happening was within so within my ego. I was like, "How dare you tell me to to stay in my lane?" You know. So I think there was a bit of like ego on my side that I kind of had to check uh, because I was used to like I was just used to. I mean, and you know how I was used I, to getting what I wanted. And you know how I do with ego. I'm like, yeah, yeah. it's one event. I don't care. <laughs> maybe, we'll pause, maybe we'll pause there and let Nick come Pop back the in. bubble, bam. Yeah. 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 Pop that ego bubble. So what was the first thing that you guys created together? I think it, was it a retreat? Yes. Yeah. We did the, we did the couples retreat together. Yeah. yeah so, so oh, we had actually, we had done some workshops online first. Oh, so yeah, we, yeah, we yeah, had led right. some virtual workshops for a few hundred people mm-hmm. and like webinars, well, yeah, webinars and, and stuff like that. And we kind of got into a flow of working together and then we put on a, a, a pretty intensive couples retreat. And I think that was a really, like, I think we kind of started to find a little bit of flow working mm-hmm. together in the, in the workshops. But then I, th- I don't think it was really until we did the couples retreat where you kind of got to see me in action mm-hmm. and we're like, oh. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I can trust your totally your work. He can make people cry, you know. He can make it's, people cry. Yeah. <laughs> the superpower. Yeah, no, I mean really, like I think I think you're right. We we had definitely done those webinars and we may have even done like panels and you know, some events yeah. together that were maybe, you know, less bulky, significant than a retreat. But yeah, our retreats are deep work mm-hmm. and both the couples and the individual retreats that we do. And yeah, I think the first time I saw you work, like truly work with, with people, I was pretty blown away and yeah, like I I think my sense of respect really shifted significantly. Like, I think I had to just see your work in motion outside of the talking about it, right? I think we all do. I mean, we, a lot of people can talk a really good game, right. But like to actually place it and practice it and live it. Right. Like, I feel like we live in the age of really good game talkers, That's that's you know, like really good game talkers. But I think if we could just pull back a little bit, I think what we're really talking about is like, how does a couple create safety for one another in working together? Mm -hmm. Right. Like if we, if we make this less personal and more objective, 
you know, I think that's one of the things that I've seen a lot of couples struggle with, both within their relationship, but also when they enter into a, a professional dynamic together, or even if they're giving each other advice professionally, you know, and coming into each other's lane of what they should be doing in their business or how they could improve. I think that that, that safety is so important. And then building the trust and then having the respect, you know, I think that's, that's a big, that's a big component of it. I think especially, maybe I'll just speak for men, but I, I think for me as a man, I think for men in general, for the masculine, is like having that respect piece in place is fairly important. And I think there's yeah. a lot of sensitivity around that. But so, you know, I think th those are the pieces that we're actually talking about. It's like, how do you build safety as a couple, especially when you are, and, and maybe so I think safety and structure go hand in hand. So you can use either word, I think. I think you can use like, how do you build safety and how do you build structure? Those two things are imperative. And we kind of navigated through those waters by doing some lighter, doing some smaller stakes thing, like the webinar first and foremost, to kind of build up some safety and some structure because you were wary and I had a big ego. <laughs> and so we kind of needed to balance those out. Well, it um, seems like the, uh, the structure creates the safety. Yeah, I would say. Mm-hmm. What, what kinds of things have you guys done to create that structure for you, for each other or for the, I guess, for the relationship and the working relationship, right? Because like, I think it's probably about balancing the two and, and creating boundaries and mm -hmm. things like that. What would, what kind of advice would you give people to be able to create those, create that structure? I mean, I think straightforward stuff is like clear expectations and roles when it comes to the order and structure of how that system is going to operate and run, right? Like system meaning you and your partner. Cause I know I can think of like a lot of times where we both maybe had covert expectations of each other of what was going to get done or who was handling what, or making sure that, yeah, like, I mean, it, could, it really could be little things like, did you charge the you know, person or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the, oh, I meant the, huh? I meant charge. Oh, the, the camera battery. The camera battery. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole story behind that one. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Freaking camera batteries. Camera batteries. They were the bane of our existence there were, for a little while. So I would say, you know, clear expectations and roles, but I honestly think that most of this comes down to the clarity that we each have individually and relationally around what's happening in our inner worlds when we merge in this way, because we are individuals first, and then we shift into this relational space. And even though we might be existing well relationally when there isn't something professional that's tying us together, when you shift into the professional realm, there's a lot of stuff that can get activated there. Mm. And that can be very different than what would be activated if you were just a couple, you know, do, doing your own thing, whatever, not working together and having expectations. And so we want to be able to explore what gets threaded in to the fabric of the relationship when there's a shift in working together, right? Yeah, I mean, I would, you know, I think the relationship we've usually, we usually view this or I usually view this as like the relationship is the third body. You know, there's like, there's you, there's me, and there's the relationship as the third body. And so I think a lot of this work starts with 
diving into a sense of sovereignty individually and being able to identify and go internally to be able to identify like, what do I need in order to operate in this dynamic if we're going to enter into a professional space? Like, what's important to me? Do I, you know, do I value full transparency? Do I value like what boundaries do I need to set? What structure do I need to put into place so that I feel both tended to and taken care of? And that might be an exploration at first. You know, I think for us, it was an exploration because for you, you were so used to being in control. And for me, you know, and so there was a lot of, there was a lot of, there was some, maybe if I could say like rigidness there that needed to soften and know that there was safety. And for me, there was a lack of boundaries and structure, you know, like I think that's how I had sort of moved through life, like not really used to hearing no a lot mm-hmm. and sort of being able to get my way. And so I think it starts with, it starts with the individual really reflecting on what resistance is coming up, what structure do I need? What boundaries do I need to be in place? What do I value in a working relationship? Because you're, you're, I think what we found was that when you bring in the professional aspect, you're bringing a different layer into an intimate relationship, which is, it can consume the relationship for a lot of people. Like that's what they worry about. And I think that's what a lot of people end up reporting is that the professional layer starts to consume the the intimate relationship and suddenly couples are just like nonstop talking about work and the business and the relationship itself kind of gets lost and and that third body of the relationship becomes consumed by each individual's professional drive and i think for you and me like we're both very driven stubborn hard-headed but like very focused individuals for the most part, and we go after what we want. And so I think, you know, in the beginning, it was really creating some boundaries around when we were going to discuss work, when we were going to talk about it, making sure that we carved out a lot of time to to protect the intimacy of the relationship so that there were, you know, dates where we wouldn't talk about courses or events or, you know, whatever we were going to be doing, because I think we found ourselves kind of on like a slippery slope where it was, it could take up a little bit more time than we wanted it to. Mm. So I think those are some of the important aspects for me. I would even journey back a little bit more in understanding the associations that we have with work and, you know, our professional identity. For me, work does have a lot of meaning to it. And one of the things that I'm thinking about right now is, is relationship to money. And so anybody listening, I would encourage you to think about what is associated with your work and professional life? Like what's attached to it? You know, is it status, right? Is it, is it a, is it a title, right? Is it money, right? So I'll, I'll just take money for right now. Cause I think when, when you are used to being in an individual space and then somebody merges in, right? There's, there is sort of this threat or intrusion, right? that can feel like it's happening. That that certainly was my experience at the time. Mm-hmm. And specifically, right, to, to money for me. And so, you know, it, it requires us to then explore our relationship to money. And, you know, for me, it's going into, 
you know, my work is all around understanding our family of origin, understanding our origin stories. You know, what was the relationship to money? What did that look like growing up? What did I see? What did I experience? What did I observe? What was safe? What was not safe? Right. I became financially very independent pretty quickly. And that was a priority for me. It was coming from an unintegrated place. It was coming from a fear-based place, watching my parents go through divorce, my dad having some money, my mom having very little, um, seeing the suffering attached to that from an early age, sort of naming that like, I never wanted to be in that position ever. Right. And so like, here's what I need to do on my own to make sure and safeguard against it. And I think when you start to look at some of the origin stories or the associations that you have with this, you might be able to get more clarity around what's happening underneath the surface, right? What was happening underneath the surface for me is as you were trying to merge and join something, right? This individuality, right? This, this part that was, but I earn my own money. And if we work together, then you and I are going to have to split something and that, you know, like, and really, I mean, but right, like this That's is, true. I mean, I imagine for some people who are listening, this is, is relevant and resonant, or even if it's not specifically this, this is a parallel for something else in your life to think like, why might I be pushing back against, right? Why might I not want to open this part up to you? Yeah. Like what is, what is scary about that? And yeah, that was what was scary about it for me in part. And especially when I saw a divorce where there was so much energy around, being with and being without and needing to take care of the self. You know, what, what is it like as a, you know, single woman having to navigate life without money or, you know, so those things that imprinted upon me were significant and, you know, they, they played a role in the way in which I was initially responding to, to it. And because I didn't trust you fully at that point because of the, all of the things that we were saying before around like the insecurity or the ego or the whatever, like that wasn't safe enough. Right. So going back to your question, Nick, right. Like, yes, it's like part of the structure certainly is in the organization and the boundaries and the expectations and all of that. And it's also in the, like the real fabric of each individual and our origin stories and the things that affect the way in which we protect ourselves individually. Yeah. So, yeah, it's so interesting. And I'm, I'm excited because we can talk about your course and coming up in a little bit, because I think it is something that we all need to know. We all need to know where we've come from so that we know how we operate in the world mm -hmm. and we can heal the things that hold us back from our truest potential or our highest creative expression. And I mean, definitely there's many ways of, of doing that work, but yeah, just give us a little rundown of what that, what that's going to look like or mm. what that looks like for your course and yeah. how like that helps people operate in a relationship in a working relationship. Yeah. So like I said before, my work, yes, I work with individuals and couples within the context of relationships and the lens through which I see the world and see and understand relationships is through the family of origin lens, our origin stories, meaning the systems in which we grew up. Sometimes we have many systems, many family systems. You know, if there was any type of rupture in sort of quote unquote, the nuclear family, right. Then we might have more than, more than one. And so I, 
really like to tune into what our programming and our conditioning and and how our operating systems were were built mm-hmm. based on what it is that we was expected of us what roles we had within our family system what it is that we observe right sort of the explicit and implicit expectations rules narratives etc that we collect along the way i always say when we're kids like you know our beliefs are given to us right we don't consent to them when we're kids we're told this is what you believe or this is what you do, or this is how you act, or this is how you behave, and here's what's expected of you. And at four, you're not like, well... I think boys can cry. You know, like you're not, you know, you're not challenging that, right? Like these are things that are given to you, you know, generally first and foremost in a family system and obviously society and school and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And so, yeah, the course is a deep dive into understanding our family systems, understanding the origin stories that we hold around communication, conflict, communication, uh, sex, intimacy, religion, gender, you know, on and on and on. And, and really coming into like, what do I actually believe, right? What is, what has been living inside of me that maybe no longer serves me is no longer mine to hold and keep. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, really finding the patterns because generally what we see is that we either repeat or oppose that, which was, given or expected of us. And that is not a path of integration, right? That we want to be living in the path of integration, right? We want to be living in integrity instead of being driven by the unconscious, right? Instead of just being driven by the programs and the operating systems that are outdated. We don't have a button on our, on ourselves that can, where we can just press update operating system (laughs) like we do with our phones. And so it requires us to do much more heavy lifting and really, Mm -hmm. you know, really explore these parts to, to see how they are running our lives for us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love that. And I think this is kind of, I want to like talk about codependency and sovereignty, because I think this obviously plays into that idea because you can, And how does that get entangled when you're just in a relationship? But then obviously when you're creating together, you're building things together, how does codependency integrate into that and affect Mm -hmm. things that you're co-creating, whether it's a relationship or business or whatever? Do you want me to go on in that? Sure. Yeah. So just to simplify that. So the, the sort of question is like, how does, how does codependency get in the way of individuation and sovereignty? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Jung had a great, Carl Jung had a great quote and I'm not going to get it word for word, but he said something along the lines of like the fastest racehorse to individuation is marriage. And so the idea is that, that relationships and just relationships in general, right? I think he's, you know, he lived in a very different time. Yeah. It's a little outdated, but, but just relationships in general are the sort of fastest racehorse to individuation, individuation being the process of finding our own sense of self and finding our own sense of sovereignty. And so the idea with there was that we meet deeper parts of ourselves in relationships and that we can't help but hide from them. And consequently, if we don't want to come into contact with those parts of ourselves, they lead to codependency that we sort of outsource emotional care. We outsource confidence. We outsource worth and value and validation to our partner. 
And we very quickly get stuck in the rut of codependency because we become dependent on the other person to meet those sort of intrinsic internal needs that should be provided internally from ourselves, from ourselves being a sovereign being. And so, you know, I think relationships are great in the sense that we can really start to question and come into contact with and become aware of the parts of ourselves that we don't want to tend to, you know, that we just simply do not want to tend to. And I think this is where family of origin work, what Vienna does is so important and relevant because as the saying goes, our, our, our past pain becomes our future worry. And so the idea there is that like, if we aren't in contact with the, you know, sort of like intrinsic beliefs that were instilled in us as a child or the pain that we experienced as a child, or, you know, the, the neglect or the abandonment or the abuse or whatever the case may be, that will show up in our current relationship and cause us to want to outsource some of our own well-being and our own nurturing and our own strength to our partner and say like, you should be responsible for this. And it's usually a a replication or continuation or a rejection of what we experienced. And so, so I think, you know, how we create that sovereignty, how we start to move out of codependency, how we create individuation within relationships specifically is that we, we begin to come into contact with a more true version of intimacy and intimacy in the in the Greek essence, the the etymology of intimacy is a Greek word intimus, and intimus meant innermost. And so the the origins of intimacy is to like into me I see. So in order for me to have proper intimacy, I need to be able to connect with myself first and foremost. Mm-hmm. I need to be able to go innermost within myself and see within myself what are the painful parts that I don't want to come into contact with. What are my insecurities actually? What do I not want to discuss or disclose or bring into this relationship? What am I hiding? What am I trying to present to my partner? Maybe as as a sort of fraudulent part to like bolster my my ego or my sense of self or my sense of worthiness. Because all of these parts of of me, of us, are going to be getting in the way of creating a really powerful bond. Because again, a potent relationship is is one where you have two sovereign independent beings and the relationship as a as a third entity or third body and and both contribute to it but that relationship becomes diminished or less powerful when the when the couple sort of outsources their self-worth or safety or whatever the case may be to the other person so i think it really is about diving into our origins I think it's diving into our pain. I always say that men's work begins in pain. It begins in us being able to face and understand our own pain and our own insecurities and the things that we are rejecting and running from and hiding from. And that that's a very initiatory experience, you know, to come into contact with these parts of ourselves that that maybe we feel beholden to or we're scared of within ourselves. And to not task or outsource that to our partner, which is what normally happens, what does happen in codependent relationships. Yeah. You want to weigh in? I was going to say, I, re- I, I had a relationship once where uh, <laughs> I definitely felt the teeterings. Oh, well, like I felt my codependencies coming through of, 
of this person being so angry all the time. And I found myself trying to make them happy at like the expense of my own happiness of like, and then I realized after I can't make the other person happy and it's not my job. But I think for me, that was a huge learning of, yeah, it's, it's just a really like how much I've, and I've got to look at where that comes from. And my parents were very, I'd say there's a lot of codependency in my parents' relationships. They like so much to the fact where they just would bend over backwards for each other. And to a, to a certain extent where it's like, well, don't you have your own feelings kind of thing? Mm. Um, so that's, that was like an interesting thing to watch. And, and I mean, maybe that's part of codependency. I don't know, necessarily know the exact definition of, of what codependency looks like versus sovereignty. Maybe we can, maybe we can jump in there. Yeah, I I was just going to say a little bit more to what what Connor was saying. Like, yeah, like I want to know the origins of codependency and I want to know what you saw or what was expected of you, you know, growing up. When when were you responsible for somebody else's emotional experience? You know, Mm -hmm. I think that's something that can show up in families so much, you know, from really like simple sayings sometimes of like, you know, make, make sure you, you're easy for your mother or, Mm. you know, like, and I get, I get that, right. Like we don't have to put a microscope so much on something like that. Like I understand why we say that sometimes, but. And also I think like being responsible for like being tasked with somebody else's emotional experience, right? right? Like don't do that because you make me, you know, a parent telling a child, like you can't do that because it makes me feel this way or, you know, sort of offloading or meshing a child with a parent's emotions. We're very attuned as children. And so the children want to make the system function. They want to make it work. So if someone's not well or there's dysfunction or there's something that's going on, child tends to see that and then adapt in such a way to try to lessen the load and relieve the system. Mm. And so I think relief is a really important word when we talk about codependency, right? There's an attempt at relieving something or someone that's going on or who's struggling. And there's a feedback loop, right? Mm -hmm. If I can relieve you, then you'll stay close to me. If I can relieve you, then you'll love me more. If I perform really well, then I will get validation and attention from you, right? Like Mm -hmm. there's a, there's a loop that, that happens there. And, you know, that loop obviously is one that does come along with us. And so Mm -hmm. we say like, how do we start to individuate and you know find healthy you know separation right i think one it's looking at those origin stories of where was i expected to or where did i see two people or more sort of dance in the space of of codependency um right i need you to do this so that i'm okay and how has that come along with you what did it look like when you took space or separation, right? How do people respond to that growing up in past relationships? Because that's data for us, right? If I'm going off and doing my own thing and my 
you know, my ex when I was 19, you know, would get so angry and, you know, whatever, like just looking at some of the data points that we get, some of the information that like, it's not okay to do that. Or you're going to make somebody angry if you, you know, go for a run and, you know, maybe you're not by your phone for a few hours or right. right? Like we want to look at the experiences that we've had. Mm. Part of this is about, yeah, like that, the reclamation of the self, right? That I can exist both on my own, right? And I can exist with you. The message is not that we never offer each other relief. You know, that's relationships are such an interesting dance, right? Like Connor and I talked about this recently and and made the distinction that it's about the illusion of safety versus actual safety. When we are asking for a need, to be met in a relationship. And that need is something that we are clear on and it is integrated for us. And we know, yeah, like this is, this is what it will look like for us to be in a space that is healthy. Right? That, that is a beautiful thing to bring forward. But when we are outsourcing, you said that word before, when we're outsourcing to say, I need you to do X so that I feel Y. And that is just to basically be the illusion of safety. It's not actually getting to the source of insecurity, fear, betrayal, doubt, whatever it is that's showing up. Mm -hmm. Like that's a loop that we don't want to step into, right? There's a very distinct difference there. Now, what makes that confusing is that we could say, I want you to do X so that Y is what is felt. Two different couples, two different days, word for word, and one could be healthy and integrated and the other could be something that is actually controlling or codependent or mm. or not, right? Yeah. And and that's what makes this stuff really hard to discern. But so how I think just on that note then how would you just to go back to Nick's question, like how would you distinguish or differentiate what what is the difference for you between codependency and sovereignty? Like, how would you define the difference? Well, I i mean, hmm, let me sit, sit with this for a moment. Because I think, I think for me, the, the difference in some ways is like the distinction between coherence and lacking separation, lacking boundaries, lacking autonomy, lacking independence, mm -hmm. right? So like coherence is that two people can move in tandem without needing to rely on the other person, right? I can be in coherence with you in a decision, but it can still be my own autonomous decision as well. It's just that our decisions happen to line up. They happen to be the same. So there's coherence in our decision. There's coherence in how we build trust. There's coherence in our values. But I think where people get lost and codependency starts to happen is that there's not coherence. So let's just say a couple is wanting to go on vacation somewhere and one person says, I want to go to Italy. And the other person says, okay, like, yeah, I, I want to do that too. When the reality is that where they want to go is France. So that that's a non-coherent decision-making process, but they feel the need to say yes to Italy because whatever, right? Because they don't want to ask for what they need because they don't want to ruffle feathers, whatever, whatever the reason is, but that's a non-coherent decision. And that's a codependent 
space, right? We move into that space of, I'm not going to ask for what I need or say what I need or come from a sovereign place because I don't want to create a rift or conflict or whatever the case may be. So I think that's how I would define the difference is like the distinction between coherence and enmeshment or coherence and non-coherence where each individual is is coming from like a yes or no place and that there's coherence between the yeses and the nos of the couple. And that's where, that's where there's sovereignty on each side, mm-hmm. independence on each side. And then in codependency, one or both people are going through this dance of, I'm going to say yes when it's actually a no for me, or I'm going to say no when it's actually a yes, because I, I want to maintain the system. I want to maintain the relationship. And yeah, that takes safety. precedence over the individual autonomacy. Autonomy. I think, yeah, I think yeah. that's how I would define it. Yeah, I think I think safety is is key in the distinction is like I can disagree with you and still know that safety like that the relationship isn't threatened. Yeah, I think oh, this is the other one I'm curious to get your take on this, but I think for me the other big distinction between sovereignty and codependence is that codependence has a really fucked up sense of sacrifice Mm -hmm. you know like people that are codependent there's always this narrative of like i'm sacrificing this for you or i'm sacrificing this for the relationship and it's it's almost always an indicator it's almost always an arrow pointing towards codependent behaviors because there's someone feeling like they or telling themselves that they need to sacrifice something to maintain the relationship or to l- make the other person be okay or not angry or not sad That's or what i mean by the safety of the relationship right that it's that it's threatened right so i don't know that they would present like I don't know that a person would always present, look at what I'm always sacrificing. You know, I don't think it sounds like that all of the time. Yeah, it doesn't need to sound like that, but I think that there's there's an undercurrent of sacrifice that shows Certainly. up within codependent relationships. But it's sacrifice for safety, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, I de- like as you guys are saying this, I'm like, wow, okay, yeah. So like growing up, I can totally see how my parents were like, it, they were codependent and I was creating codependent tendencies from that because like my dad would always, my dad would do that. He still does that all the time where he just is like, he's like, Oh, I'm just going to, all you. it's all about you. Like, like he has no, mm-hmm. there's a space where he has a hard time like making, taking things for himself or making decisions. And I, and I realized it cause I like have these tendencies as well that I've like become more aware of and I'm like working through, but I see how it plays out or how it can play out mm-hmm. in my own relationships and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I was just going to say like, what did you watch him sacrifice within the relationship between him and your mom? Or what did you feel like you had to sacrifice in order to maintain the peace in the family system? I had to sacrifice speaking my truth mm-hmm. because like every time he would like, he would shut down. So this is like, every time I would, my sister and I, whatever, we would talk about things that were like of the Bible and of God and of church. He would get very verbally affirmative, very encouraging, very excited. Every time we tried to talk about something that wasn't in that realm, he would shut down, complete shutdown, complete, just like, oh, I'm processing, but then never like come back and like say anything after that. And so for me, I walked away with that. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm being judged for not being Christian enough or not being in line with what he thinks and what he wants me to believe. And so I definitely think that's like 
been a huge, I've seen that play out and I've done a lot of work around it and I'm still, I can notice those tendencies, but I definitely think that was something that from my upbringing. And how, how did that similar or same kind of sacrifice show up in your relationships, like your intimate relationships, not, not speaking your truth? Yeah. I mean, I think what you guys are saying, sometimes I would kind of cater to what that other person wants. I'm probably speaking more to one specific relationship (laughs) just to keep the peace, just to like not have her lose her shit for, you know, and it wasn't even like her losing her shit wasn't necessarily on me. It was like other things in the world that were happening or whatever, but there were things that I would like, even if it was good news that I was excited about. I remember a few instances of that I would tell her and then I'd, she'd like, take it personally and get angry about it. And then I'd be like, fuck, well, and then I'm like, ah, like I got it. How do I keep this peace? You know, like that was like kind of my internal dialogue going on of like, okay, how do I make this? Okay. How do I make this? Okay. Eventually that fell apart and I had to like walk away from it, but you know, it still took me a good six months of like going through this process of not, and that, that felt, I was feeling the incongruency and the out of alignment within myself to the point where it was like my intuition was like punching me in the face of like, get out, get out, get out. But I still was staying in because I thought that I was like needed to learn more myself or Mm. I needed to practice certain things. But that was probably also me just being codependent and, and catering to her really perhaps. (laughs) I mean, I think it's a good example. You know, I think it's, it sounds like you, you know, were sacrificing your own voice and what you would normally say or you would want to celebrate and trying to tend to their emotional reactivity, mm-hmm. which is very common in codependent relationships that somebody is the sort of emotional, like caretaking center, you know, and the other person is is sort of offloading their emotional responsibility. There's that dance, right? It's like, I, I'm not angry, you're angry. And then that, you know, the other person be, ends up sort of tending to that person's anger or dancing around that person's anger or doing everything to not elicit or solicit that person's anger or sadness or, you know, fill in the blank with the emotion. But there is generally that dance where somebody is sacrificing and diminishing themselves in order to be responsible for somebody else's emotional capacity or incapacity. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely, (laughs) definitely experienced that. I can imagine like what that, like take that into a co-working, a co-creation space. And it's like that you have like relationships are a mirror in general, but like, and you have like the, the co-creation piece to it. And that mirror just like amplifies. Have you guys noticed that in working together yourself? codependent tendencies no more like the the mirror of Mm -hmm. like the mirror growing by working together like it's just more in your face yeah I mean I think a lot some of the stuff that I was saying before about what I had to face in terms of what was showing up for me relationship to money you know those types of things like yeah there was a big mirror that was being held up now I think we have a nice rhythm. Like yeah. I, I don't think that that really shows up so much anymore. I think we've worked a lot on trust and integration of things and like all of the stuff that was coming up in the beginning, I think really did get flushed out. Now, a lot of stuff came up in the beginning, you know, it was not easy, but I believe that we tended to it 
And yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we I, w- I would agree with that. I think that we also prioritized, I think that we also prioritized dealing with the shit as it came, you know, it's like when mm-hmm. something came up, sometimes we would get into it and it, you know, we would, and it, and it, and it would be, and there would be conflict and it was like, okay, this conflict isn't going anywhere. Let's step back. And then let's revisit it when we have regulated ourselves, when we've sort of tended to ourselves in, in a way. And I think that, that method really supported us where it's like, okay, because there is healthy conflict and there's unhealthy conflict, mm-hmm. right? There's, it's like, there's generative conflict and which is going to turn into connection and intimacy and all the beauty of the relationship. And then there's just conflict that is going to deteriorate, diminish and erode the intimacy and the connection of the relationship. And so I think when we, when you start to work together, a lot of that stuff will naturally start to come forward, right? Like you'll start to see those insecurities. You'll start to see those control mechanisms. You'll start to see the lack of safety or not trusting your partner or whatever the case may be sort of amplified because suddenly there's a monetary connection to it. There's a livelihood connection to it. There's just a bigger part of your ego and your identity that are attached than to, because it's like including the relationship and the and the professional aspect. And so, but I do think that we we did a good job of, not always, but often stepping away from the conflict that wasn't generative and then coming back in and, and being able to sort of sit down and say like, okay, what, what's happening? What are we getting triggered by? Mm-hmm. Let's get some new fucking batteries for this goddamn camera. <laughs> oh my gosh. We, like six extras. I was, I was oh responsible. For, we were filming a, a program and this was, we had just got married, like just got married. And I don't know what we were thinking, oh. but we had decided to right <laughs> after we got married course. to put out this program. And it was about relationships and like how to get the love that you want in relationship, whether you're single or as a couple. And, and the, like the content creation went great. It was super fluid. Like there was a lot of, a lot of the work that went really well. And we, started filming the program and it was a crunch. Like we had sort of left things not to the last minute, but we didn't give ourselves the kind of space that we needed. And so we're trying to record and we would get like a really great take and the freaking camera battery would die. And so we'd be like like three quarters of the way through 15 minutes into recording. Yeah. 15 minutes into like a 17 minute video. And (laughs) of course I was responsible for the technology. Nick, you have to understand that this didn't happen just once. Oh no, this happened multiple times. Multiple (laughs) times where like at the end I was like, yeah, like, like, I don't know. Or like the batteries for the, for the audio, for the microphone would cut out. It was just terrible. Like, oh, it was was terrible. It was like, yeah. By like the fourth or fifth time, both of us were just like, oh my gosh, like just make and it we, stop. And we were not, ne- we were never splicing things. Like it was just roll with it. Do it in one take. Do it in one take, which we, which we did. So we would just have to keep going back every time this happened. And yeah. I was unpleased. <laughs> well, it's, it is funny. I mean, I've noticed like even for myself recording podcasts and things like that, like to think about technical stuff when you're trying to think, think about talking behind a microphone or in front of a, a camera. I was even doing a podcast the other day and I did video, but like I had to like, it was like, it stops at 30 minutes. So I got to like get up, stop the podcast, get up. And it's just, it was too much to think about. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just, it breaks so, the flow, it breaks does. the flow, yep. <laughs> it breaks the flow. But, um, 
Yeah. We're still both here. We're here. You're still both <laughs> here. We figured still it out. Both here. What what kind of communication structure or ideas do you guys utilize in um, navigating conflict and things like that? This is my favorite subject ever. Oh boy. I love oh. I love talking about conflict. I love talking about intimacy. Yeah. I mean, I think Yes. Communication obviously is important. Again, you'll always hear me talk about understanding our origins of conflict and understanding like the systems in which we grew up, how conflict was displayed there. You're going to probably either repeat a lot of that or really swing the pendulum in the opposite direction. You know, if you were someone who said, I'll never do this, right. Whether you asserted that verbally or not, I know I had moments of that, like I'll never be like this when I grow up, you know, that, that path of opposition. And then, <laughs> <laughs> Well, right. Sometimes it is repetition and sometimes it is actual opposition. So, you know, I think understanding the origins of conflict, you know, most people don't associate something positive, right? With, with conflict. You heard Connor say it before that that conflict can be a gateway to deep connection and intimacy and and healing and transformation. And I believe that that's deeply true. When conflict is happening, I always say there's like a bit of like a flag in the sand waving, like saying, ah, oh, there's such important information here. When we're getting along, beautiful. We obviously want to have that, that space and time and relationship, but Usually when we're getting along, you know, we're not necessarily learning something new about ourselves and the other person. When we're in conflict, there's an opportunity to learn something new about the self and about the other. And when we can start to take that approach with it, we generally have to shift out a lens in order to explore it. But when we can do that, right, that is when it starts to lead us to healing and, you know, intimacy, meaning going innermost with self and other when we choose that. You know, I think a lot of times people try to navigate conflict when they're in it. We mm. tend to say, you don't know, do that. don't try to do that. <laughs> like we need to start navigating conflict when we're out of it, right? Mm-hmm. To actually explore what do we do when we are in conflict. But when we're heated and it's escalating and you know, we're getting to, you know, the, the those ruptures, it's really hard to pull ourselves back. And it's really hard to move into our conscious minds and like access the tools that we don't have in those moments. Right. So we need to become, we have to build our tool set outside of conflict conflict in order to use it, right? We have to understand mm-hmm. what our loops look like, what our sequences are like, what what patterns show up in our conflict. What did that look like for me growing up? What did that look like for you growing up? When we are in conflict, what inner narrative do you hold? How do you protect yourself, right? Like for, for might there be trauma responses that are happening here, right? Like where do I go, right? Do I fight? Do I freeze? Do I flee? Do um, I you know, yeah. Um, fawn is a voluntary, it's a, that fawning is a learned behavior. The other three are involuntary, uh, responses, right. That we learn the fight, flight, freeze. Fawning is when you basically become a pleaser, right. So mm. like it, to deescalate, right. So you, you know, you'll say whatever the other person really needs to hear, or you turn into a pleaser or an appeaser to basically put out the fire. Mm. Um, and, and that's what creates, that's what creates safety. You're right. It's, you're right. You're right. You know, I find it's actually more common than people think like yeah. the fawning is, mm-hmm. is more com- common than people think. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, those types of things, you know, in our, in our, in the joint course that we're talking about, the one where we almost <laughs> X'd each other out, uh, <laughs> um, we, we talk about conflict funny enough. No, uh, no we, fawning going on yeah, there. Yeah. 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 There was no fawning. There was no fawning. Um, but, but that course is a beautiful deep dive into navigating conflict. And I think like, I think we try and be open about our relationship because I think it's, Oftentimes, people that are teaching relationships don't talk about the reality of their relationship. Yeah, you know, there's like perfect. this pedestal pedestaling of the relationship, and it's like, no, no, like we we still have conflict. We just have we still <laughs> we may have had conflict before recording the conflict module. Yeah, we may have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we may have had to pause the recording of the conflict module to to so good. to park it. But I, you know, I think that there's. Like there is no, you know, I think this for me, it's important for people to realize like, where did your perception of what a relationship should look like come from? Because I think for a lot of people, they've been sort of like sold this like Disney version of relationship where conflict doesn't exist. Right. And it's like, that is not reality <laughs> and, and it's not healthy, right? Because it just leads to a tremendous amount of avoidance and suppression or repression. And then that needs to be coped with in some way. And that's how infidelity happens. And that's yeah. how, you know, separations happen, et cetera. And so yeah. you know, I think there's merit to meeting conflict in a healthy way. And so like Vienna was saying, rule number one, don't try and solve conflict when you're in conflict, right? Mm-hmm. Just, I think rule number two is prioritize self-regulation over trying to control the other's regulation. Yeah. We get caught in this cycle when conflict comes up of being like, you're angry, you need to calm down or you shouldn't feel that way or you know, you always do this or say that and it doesn't do anything, right? Mm-hmm. It just escalates the situation and, and we go into this, Oftentimes people go into this, like they'll shut down completely to protect themselves or they'll start to criticize the other person's reactivity, like their anger or, you know, how they're showing up in the conflict. And so we need to, we need to really wage the war and and enlist a little bit of like sacred rage, clean anger towards reeling in the nets to ourselves, pulling the nest to ourselves so that we can prioritize self-regulation in those moments and that we as a couple are committed to that, right? That, that we've built a relationship where we both agree that these are priorities within our relationship. Cause I think, and then, and then the last thing I would say is create agreements around how you and a couple are going to deal with conflict. Most couples don't have that, right? They like, they have vows, they have goals, they have shared values that they know about, but the majority of couples don't have agreements on how they're going to deal with conflict. And so it's like a no holds bar match, right? Where there's no regulations, there's no sort of boundaries or structure to the conflict. We need to bring structure to the conflict. And so I would say in a really healthy space, as a couple sit down and say, how do we want to navigate conflict? How do I want to show up in conflict? Knowing that I'll never get that perfect, but it gives me something to aim for. And I've found that the more that we've done that, the more that things move when conflict does arrive, it just moves very quickly. Like we can move through it. It turns into humor or intimacy or love or, you know, a learning and like a deeper understanding of one another. And that's, that's, I think what we're really aiming for in intimacy and in relationships. Conflict alchemy. 
yeah, alchemizing and, and transmuting that conflict into something. That's what really great couples do well yeah. is that they alchemize and transmute conflict into something generative. Yeah. And, and sometimes that means that you're in conflict about the same thing for a few months. Sometimes it means that you need to get third party support, right? Like what's the data? Like couples go to couples therapy four years too late or something like that, like three or four years too late. And so, you know, maybe sometimes you might need somebody, an external, you know, whether it's a, a, a really close friend to be able to objectively hear what's going on and reflect it back or, you know, to go to couples therapy or to find a really good coach or whatever the case may yeah. be to help guide you through something. And I think that's the last thing that I'll say and then I'll pause, which is like, be able to acknowledge when you as a couple are stuck on something, yeah. you know, like where we just like man, like we can't seem to make ends meet here. Like we can't really seem to meet in the middle somewhere on this yeah. conflict or argument or whatever it is and and be able to identify that. Be okay to identify that as a couple. It's so valuable because so many people reject that and then they yeah. keep having that conflict come up over and over and over again. And it just, it can erode the their relationship quite quickly. Yeah. Yeah. What, I mean, I guess one question quick here is like, what now of all of all that stuff, right? Like what, what should one do if their partner does not want to create a structure with them or does not, because obviously this takes personal work on both sides, right? Because we all have to individually sovereignly create our own personal growth. What if one person is on a track and they discovered this path of growth and inner work, inner personal development, the other person is not in the same place. They just want to stay where they're at. And you're in a relationship where you're like, oh, I want to do this. I want to create this structure. But the other person's like, eh, no, like, what should one do in that case? I mean, I would, I would really get curious about the other person's experience, like what is actually coming up for them in that request. I want to understand what is scary about it, what is threatening about it, what stories are attached to it, what feels overwhelming about it, you know, what beliefs are associated with it that make that something that they are resisting. Mm -hmm. I don't think that the start point is if you're not choosing it, you know, then I'm leaving you and that's the end of the relationship, right? Like now it may get to that at some point, right? Like, you know, a lot of this is about choice and, you know, like leaning in, I, I believe that most of us have a beautiful capacity for this, for this work and that we are either choosing to explore it or not, but I'd want to know what makes it confronting to explore instead of just the frustration of focusing on the resistance or the fact that like one person is doing the quote unquote, the work and the other person is, is not, there's no, there's no guide guidebook of like, for how long should that go on? And if the partner, you know, B doesn't do this for six months, you know, then I'm out of here, you know, like that can't be outsourced. There's no one who can decide that for you. Right. I think that we have to be in our own lanes, doing our work, leading ourselves to the place that we want to go, mm. modeling that, living that, existing in that space. And I do believe that it's important to get curious about another person's resistance and what what those constraints and blocks are. And instead of always like the tug of like, come on, come on, come on, do this with me. This is so important. I want you to heal and grow and da, 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 you know, all of that, like really understanding like 
like help me understand what blocks this or help me understand what feels scary about doing this work because there's a plethora of information there too. And a lot of times we just focus on the trying to get somebody to do something mm. instead of trying to understand why they're not. Mm. So I would definitely recommend the lane of trying to understand what the resistance is and what that resistance is serving. What are they scared of? What mm. is showing up here? And then, you know, as you continue to do your own work, our path forward just gets clearer and clearer. You know, that's all I can say. I don't think that you have to know like, and by this date I'm leaving, right. you know, it's like the more that you are coming home to yourself, the more you're reclaiming yourself, the more work that you're doing in that space, your path of, you know, which way I'm going and headed or who's coming along with me does clear you know, there's a lot of clarity there. Mm -hmm. So as therapisty as it is, might just <laughs> say, trust the process. <laughs> trust the process. Yes. I think I love all that. <laughs> that was well said. You covered some of the things that I I would say. Maybe I'll speak from the perspective of, of men because I, I feel like I get this question all the time. You know, not that it's, yeah, I get the question all the time from women being like, I feel like my partner, you know, doesn't want to do the work or won't meet me there or whatever the case may be. And I find that for men, a lot of times this statement is true. And it's by a therapist named Francis Weller. He says, men come to therapy, not by choice, but through circumstances. And there is a little bit, if a man hasn't really reached a place in his life where he's been knocked on his ass, he will probably be searching for that experience of getting knocked on his ass before he becomes humbled by life, before he starts to realize that he can, he can start to do that work sort of a little bit ahead of time rather than waiting for it to come to him. Because sometimes, and this doesn't just pertain to men, right? I think there's a lot of women that are also waiting for circumstances to to change before, before they do the work, before they do. And so, you know, one of the questions that I always get people to ask their partners, whether it's men or a woman, when they feel like their partner won't meet them in the work, won't meet them in, in showing up and, and exploring is what are you waiting for until things change? What are you waiting to happen before mm -hmm. things will change? And then the other question is, do you, do you think that you need to hit bottom before things get better? That one's really potent. And a lot of the times what's happening internally for individuals is they don't want to work on the relationship. And it's a, it's a manifestation and a reflection of what's happening internally for them, that they are waiting for their life or their relationship or their whatever to fall apart before, before it starts to get better, before they start to actually change, because there's a there's a pretty thick victim mentality or martyr, you know, archetype in place that's controlling them. And, and so for a lot of men and women, they have this uncontacted shadow belief that their life needs to fall apart before they can start to reclaim it, before they can start to mend it. And so, you know, come into contact with that, with your partner, like mm -hmm. is your partner actively, not actively, but are, are they waiting for things to collapse before they start doing the work? And that sometimes it's true, you know, and if that's the case, then we need to make a decision for ourselves about, you know, am I going to be a part of this, 
downfall? You know, am I, am I, do I need to stay here while, you know, the, the house crumbles around us? And so that, you know, that's fairly important. And then I think the, the last thing that I would say around engaging a partner in this kind of dialogue and, and work is again, the, the pulling the nets in, into our own responsibility, mm-hmm. you know, and notice the amount of effort and energy that you as an individual might be putting into, this is for the listeners, obviously, but, but that you have an, as an individual might be putting into trying to get your partner to change, that it might actually be a distraction, that it might be the thing that you need to let go of the most in order to prioritize your own liberation and your own sovereignty and your own individuation and your own internal empowerment. And because I see a lot of people spending so much time and energy fixated on like, but my partner this and my partner that it's like, uh huh. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's the distraction that you don't want to let go of because if you did, then you'd have to focus in on yourself. And then there's nobody left to, to sort of point at or blame for outside of you. (laughs) And that's the terrifying, that's the, that's really where the, you know, the, the potent work starts. So yeah. Well, I love that. Drop the mic right there. <laughs> Bam. Good stuff, guys. If you don't follow these guys on the Instagrams, you should. They drop knowledge bombs left and right every day. Follow Connor at Man Talks and Vienna at Mindful MFT. And I just acknowledge you for the guy, you guys for the the impact that you're making in the world and how much you're helping people, you know, get their relationship life on track. And I mean, relationships are the biggest part of life. So I'm glad you guys are helping out. Where can people check out your courses and and all the things you guys have to offer? Yeah. The practice website is newyorkcouplescounseling.com. And I don't know when this will launch, but pretty soon my uh, personal website, viennafarin.com will be, will be live. But yeah, Instagram, Instagram link in bio is probably the the easiest place to find courses, the groups that we're running, the one-on-one. I have a group of amazing therapists and coaches who work for the practice and, uh, yeah, if people are interested in this type of work and they are, they're, they're it. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> well, it. always good jamming with you guys. Thank you. What's up, y'all? Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Onkin Radio Podcast with Connor in Vienna. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, bringing this to you every other week for now and it is a passion personal project of mine so what i would love it if you could help me out by leaving a good review over on apple Podcasts or wherever you get your wherever you listen to your podcast could be spotify uh sharing this episode if it helped you out if you learned any little nugget of wisdom love it if you'd share it around uh you can go check out the show notes of anything that we talked about over at onkin radio com or onkin.co slash ep200 that's the quick link for you anything we have we talked about we'll link up there and uh you know what time it is yeah it's time to go out and create your life by creating every small moment be the hero of your own story and we'll see you next time <laughs>